We're continuing our sermon series this morning called Return, where we're returning to Sunday school, returning to Wednesday night, returning hopefully to many of our, our ministries that we enjoy doing around here, and, and hopefully those will uh, return more and more as the days go on. Last week we talked about the word reunion and what that meant, and today we're going to talk about the word rebuild and what that means. We'll be reading from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Uh, you can follow along in, on page 374 in your pew Bible if you'd like to. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Nehemiah chapter 2, with, beginning with the first verse. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was served him, I carried the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. So the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This can only be sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my ancestors' graves, lies waste and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor with you, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my ancestors' graves, so that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, and the queen was also sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a date. Then I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may grant me passage until I arrive in Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, directing him to give me timber to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress." And for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the gracious hand of God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent officers of the army and cavalry with me. When Sedanbalat the Hornite and, the, and Tobiah the Ammonite officially heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Then I got up during the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the animal I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate past the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the animal I was riding to continue. So I went up by the way of the valley by night and inspected the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest that were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer disgrace. I told them that the hand of my God had been gracious upon me, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And then they said, let us start building. So they committed themselves to the common good. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just a couple of weeks ago, the community of Florida State and the community of Tallahassee lost someone that they love very dearly, Coach Bobby Bowden. I have to tell you, I never got to meet Coach Bowden while, since I have lived here, but I loved hearing stories about Coach Bowden and even hearing some of the stories that he liked to tell. He came here in, uh, I believe, 1975-1976 with the idea that he was going to rebuild the football program. Before that, the three years before he got here, the, the program had only won four games in three years, and so he had some, some work to do. But he knew immediately when he got here that he not only had to rebuild the, the football team, but also rebuild the fan base who had stopped coming to the games. And so he tells the story, he had this great idea that he was going to try to give out some free tickets around town in order to help rebuild the fan base. He had this idea that he would ride over to the mall not too far away from here and and put a couple of tickets right on his windshield. And and when he went inside the mall and walked around when he came out, he assumed somebody would probably see those tickets and take those tickets. And then he knew, I know I've got at least two people who are going to be at the game this week. And if that worked, he could go and do that at other places around town. And so sure enough, he parked his car right outside the mall, put two tickets in the, in the windshield right there, and walked inside the mall to go get his hair cut. And when he came out, to his surprise, there were now six tickets sitting in his windshield. <laughs> and he realized he had his work cut out for him. Rebuilding the fan base was not going to be as easy as he thought it would be. He was going to have to do it one person at a time. Rebuilding is not an easy thing for us to do. And in fact, I'll tell you, as you know, I'm not talking about football teams now, but rebuilding in our own lives, whether we're talking about our own homes, our own churches, our own relationships, rebuilding takes a lot of work. There are times when we think about the the things that we have been through, and and maybe the first thought is it would be easier just to, to start over altogether. We see that in marriages all the time. Someone has has broken trust, and so they decide it's easier just to to split apart and start over rather than trying to rebuild together. We see that in communities that go through tragedy. They've experienced some terrible tragedy in their community or, or maybe terrible disagreement between neighbors, and so rather than trying to reconcile and rebuild, they just split apart and never recover. Or maybe we see that in churches too. Churches split apart all the time. Some disagreement comes up, they can't overcome it, and so churches split apart, and they, they never rebuild. Maybe you felt that way recently about the world that we're living in. I know I've felt that way from time to time. When I watch the news, and I have to turn it off immediately again because I just get depressed. And all I can think about is, man, wouldn't it be great if God could just start over sometimes? But if we believe in the promise of Noah, the the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Moses, the covenant with Jesus Christ, we know that God calls us not just to start over, but to rebuild. That God doesn't give up on us, and so we should not give up either. And luckily, there are stories in the Bible where God helps people rebuild, and that's one of those stories is the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a story that was born out of the exile. We've talked about the exile several times. The the story of the Babylonian Empire who came in and wiped out all of Judah, wiped out Jerusalem, left the city in ruin, left it destroyed. But after the Babylonian Empire, the, the Persian Empire came in, and they were much more kind and generous to the people of Judah who were spread out all throughout the empire. They let them start to practice some of the things that they had no longer been allowed to practice under the Babylonians. They were a little bit kinder, a little bit gentler, to them, and and that's where Nehemiah comes along. 
Nehemiah actually had had gained favor with the king and was a a trusted member of the king's court. It said that Nehemiah was the cupbearer. Well, if you like to read fairy tales and things like that, you know the cupbearer is one of the most trusted people in the king's court because the cupbearer brings the food to the king. He tastes the food, he tastes the cup to make sure it hasn't been poisoned, that somebody's not trying to hurt the king. And so the cupbearer is one of the most trusted people in the court of, of Artaxerxes, the Persian king. But one day, Nehemiah comes and he brings the cup to the king and and, and Artaxerxes Artaxerxes can read it right on his face. He is brokenhearted. And he asks him that question, why are you so sad? That's actually a very dangerous question that Artaxerxes asks Nehemiah. He asks him that because he knows something's wrong, but it's a dangerous question because Nehemiah knows that the king is not going to be happy with his answer. Even though the the Persians were a lot more generous to the people of of Judah, Artaxerxes had made a decree that the walls of Jerusalem were not to be rebuilt. He had been told by many of his subjects that this pesky little kingdom of Judah would would be a, a problem for him. And so that he, even though he should be kind to the people of Judah, that he shouldn't allow them to go back and rebuild those walls. But that's exactly what Nehemiah wanted to do. And so he said a prayer and got up all of his courage and told Artaxerxes exactly what he wanted to do, that he wanted to go back to Jerusalem, to go back to that city where his ancestors were buried, the city that he loved, the city of his family, and the king let him do it. In fact, sent him with papers and sent him with an army so that he could get all the way there and do exactly what God had asked him to do. When he gets there, of course, he finds that the city is in much worse shape than he thought. The, the walls are completely crumbled. In fact, it even says that he has to get off his horse at one point and walk by himself because it's not safe for the horse to get through. He does this great big survey, and I can only imagine as he's walking through the city of Jerusalem, there's a part of him that thought, we should just start over. This is awful. We can't rebuild these walls. Maybe we should just build a, a new Jerusalem a few miles over. Or, or maybe we should just lay waste to these walls and, and tear them apart and start over from scratch. And like I said, that's the way I've felt recently. There have been times when I look at the world that we're living in and I've gotten so discouraged, so disheartened. I look at the numbers of our, our COVID virus and it frustrates me that we're still having to wear masks. It frustrates me that we can't do all the things that we want to do. I turn on the TV and I see what happened in Haiti just last week and my heart is broken. I cannot imagine what they are going through. And I tell you, I am terrified for the women of Afghanistan right now. Absolutely terrified for what they might be going through. And in my mind, it seems like the easiest thing to do would be for God to just start over. That's not what God calls Nehemiah to do. God calls Nehemiah to rebuild right where he is, and God calls us to do the same. And so maybe we can pick up a few tips from this story of Nehemiah. I'm going to give you three tips that I pulled out of the story. You can write these down if you want to. First thing, God calls Nehemiah to have a tenacious faith. Second thing, God calls Nehemiah to build the city back together. And thirdly, God calls Nehemiah to trust. Now, we've already talked about that tenacious faith. He showed that with Artaxerxes. He built up his courage. He prayed to God. He asked God to to give him the words to say. And he, with courage, told Artaxerxes exactly what he wanted to do. But that was not the only time he had to be faithful, had to be resilient, had to be strong. 
He meets these people, Sanballat and Tobiah, and they are, are ridiculing him because he's going back to the city. He thinks, they think he is trying to, to go against the king's wishes, go against the king's will, and so he has to continue to be resilient. He has to continue to be strong. He has to continue to have that tenacious faith. And that's something we all have to have if we're going to continue to build our faith because we know what ridicule is like especially in the world that we live in. We hear it every single day. That seems to be the way we solve our problems right now is we ridicule each other. We tear each other down. And if you're going to rebuild your faith, you're going to have to have some tenacity. That's especially a good lesson for our confirmation class to learn this morning, to think about as they're about to begin a new journey where they're building their faith upon the foundation that our Sunday school teachers and their parents have built, that they need to have some tenacity. Because there are going to be times, guys, when guess what? it's going to be easier to stay home on Sunday morning. It's going to be easier to stay home on Wednesday night. It's going to be easier to, to know that your, your friends are not coming to church, and so it'll be easier to just stay home like they are. It's going to be easier at times when you see your friends ridiculing some of your other friends to just join in with them rather than do the things that God calls us to do. And the only way you can continue to build your faith brick by brick, step by step, is to be tenacious to not give in, to be countercultural, to not do what you see a lot of us adults do by tearing each other down and ripping each other apart, but to be kind to each other, to be tenacious in your faith and build each other up. That's the first thing is to be tenacious. But the good news is, is the second thing helps us to be tenacious. God calls us to build up this world together. We can't do it by ourselves. If you haven't learned anything from this past 18 months, we cannot do this by ourselves. If I could fix the, all the problems of the world by myself, I would have done it by now. But that's what being together in a community means. We have to do it together. We have to find a way to work together. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. I stopped there in chapter 2, but if you go and look at chapter 3 and read chapter 3, you'll see this incredible long list of names. Nehemiah goes through this list of names and, and parts of the gate. He says things like, and Halam is going to build the, the donkey gate, and, and Shalom is going to build the fountain gate, and Joida is going to build the, the new gate or the big gate. And he goes through this long list of names, and if you don't like names, it's a pretty boring chapter. Sounds kind of like one of those genealogies that you might read back in Numbers, this really boring chapter, a long list of names. Why would Nehemiah put this long list of names in the middle of his book? There's a reason why. It shows us that he had no intention of trying to do it by himself. He knew that God called them to do it together, the entire group of Jews who were still there in Jerusalem to do it together. And now I want you to imagine this. Imagine that a few generations after the city was rebuilt, a group of people were reading these names aloud. And they would hear their family name. Hey, that's my family who built that gate. That's my family who helped back when the city walls were torn down. That's my family who was a part of rebuilding our city. I think about that a lot right now. When I look at my nieces and my nephews who are toddlers, or even when I look at these confirmation students, what are they going to think in 10 years when they look back at history and they ask the question, what did we do during this difficult time? What did we do when this world was torn apart? What, would we, what did we do when we were at odds against each other? How did we help? And I want them to be able to look back at me and say, my Uncle Brad helped. 
My Uncle Brad stood up and helped people who were hurting. My Uncle Brad did his part. And I want these students to be able to look back at Faith Presbyterian Church and said, my church helped, my church rebuilt, my church stuck together and worked together and tried to find ways to help us through this difficult time. So that they can look back and say, when we finally come through this mess that we're in, that they can look back and say, Faith Presbyterian Church, they helped. Tallahassee helped. We were there together doing our little parts, whatever those parts might be. We can't do it all by ourselves, but we do it little by little, step by step, whatever that might be for you. For you, it might be just giving a little bit of money to to Haiti or to Afghanistan, like I told you in the announcements. For you, it might just be making sure that you're, you're wearing a mask when you know you're around someone who's vulnerable and saying a prayer for them. For them, for others, it might just be making sure you, you get here on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights and try to continue to build community together. But that's what we're called to do, is to do our part so that someday when this is all behind us, we can look back and said, say, that was my part. That was the gate I built. That was where I helped. I helped us get through this because that's what God called us to do. So that's the last, second part, to do it together. And the final part is God calls us to trust, to rebuild with trust, trusting that God can do things that we cannot do, to trust God even in the most difficult times, to trust God in the midst of the rubble, and to trust God in the midst of the broken walls, to trust that God can take what is broken down around us and build it back up again. In the midst of my travels, one of my favorite places that I've ever traveled is a little town called Coventry, England. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. There's a beautiful cathedral there, and it's like many other cathedrals all throughout England and Scotland. The first parts of it were actually built hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But unlike all of those other cathedrals in England and Scotland, the the destruction of this crumbling uh, cathedral didn't happen because of the Protestant Reformation or, or other conflicts within the church. The construction of this cathedral in Coventry happened during World War II. In November of 1940, the Germans flew over Coventry and bombed out the city, destroying everything in its sight, even destroying the cathedral. The the provost and the priest tried to do the things they could to save the parts of the cathedral that they could, but the the next morning after it was all destroyed, the walls were just standing and rubble was left in the midst of it. The provost of the, of the cathedral walked through and tried to decide, what are we going to do now? Are we going to just tear down these walls and start again? Or, or maybe just in defiance of those Germans, we should rebuild this, this cathedral as quickly as we can. But instead, he heard the voice of God speaking to him. He reached down in the dust and the, and the charred ashes of the cathedral and put a little bit of, of, of ash on his fingertip. And he wrote these words, Forgive them, Father right on the edge of the, ru- the ruined cathedral. Father, forgive them. Wrote those words with his finger. Because he realized that his job as a, as a priest, his job as a provost was not just to rebuild his cathedral. It was to help rebuild the world. And the only way this world that was fighting against each other would be rebuilt is if there was forgiveness throughout the world. If there was reconciliation instead of revenge. And so out of that darkness, out of that terrible time, grew this incredible new ministry from this church. Another priest who worked at the church had gone through the rubble and he found three nails, made three iron nails that he put together in the form of a cross. And that became the symbol of the church. It's called the Coventry Cross. 
And after the war was over, this cathedral reached out to other cities all throughout Europe. Cities that had been bombed by allied forces reached out to them and asked them what they were going through, asked them how they could help, asked them if they could just start a conversation with them. And this new ministry grew out of these ashes. It's called the, the community of the cross of Jesus. The community of the cross of the nails of Jesus. And every time they reach out to another community, they send them one of these nails, these crosses made of nails. And now throughout the years, it's not just cities that have been infected by World War II, but also communities and churches and schools that are dealing with conflict all over the world reach out to Coventry to become a part of this community because they know that for the world to be rebuilt, it has to be something that they can't imagine. It has to be the work of God. It has to be the work of forgiveness and reconciliation rather than revenge. That's what we need in our world now. In the midst of the rubble that we live in, we need God to do something that we can't do on our own. In the midst of the rubble that we live in, we need God to take us by the hand, to call us and inspire us once again, to have that tenacious faith, to work together in spite of how difficult it is. We need God to call us once again to trust. To trust that we, we see the dust and the pain and the suffering of this world, that God can do something with it. Something that we can't do on our own. And don't get me wrong, it's not God who caused all that pain and that suffering that we see everywhere. But it's only God who can make something beautiful out of it. So that's who you and I are called to be. Tenacious people of faith. Tenacious people who work together to rebuild this world. But we can only do it if we trust. Trust that God can take the dust and do something beautiful with it. To the glory of God. Amen.